Hello folks, welcome to another SACPA session. Uh, I hope this uh, finds you well. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. And we pay our respects to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationships to the land. SACPA commits to assisting reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA also would like to thank um, Shaw Spotlight, University of Lethbridge and the Lethbridge Herald for their continuing support. Today we have with us Larry Alford. Thank you for joining us, Larry. Um, Larry Alford is a former financial industry insider with two decades of experience in some of the largest firms in the industry. What he learned allowed him to become an expert witness in the area of systematic malpractice in the retail investment advisory trade. He has since testified in three parliamentary committees in Ottawa and once in the legislature at Queen's Park in Toronto. One of Larry's priority has been to inform and educate people about hidden systematic risks in the retail investment industry. Larry produced a documentary film in 2009 titled Breach of Trust, the unique violence of white collar crime, which leads one to ask the question, what is so unique about white collar crime? It is this question which has occupied Larry's thoughts ever since, and this presentation will cover that question as well. Larry, um, I also believe that you wrote a couple of books. It's not in your bio, but I know you've written a couple of books, so um, mm -hmm. I just want to acknowledge that as well. Thank you very much for joining us, Larry, and we look forward to your presentation. Thank you very much, Annalise. I'm glad to be here and grateful to SACPA for doing this for over 50 years weekly. Uh, farming humans, if, if the first slide can come up, the image is a, uh, a cover of my latest book, Farming Humans, and the, uh, the title probably should have been Humans Farming Humans, because that's what it's about. It's about a 21st century type of slavery that George Orwell feared that we would see a return to slavery more than a return, more than anarchy. Farming Humans, I mentioned, is about the unique violence of white-collar crime, and I found some things that were rather unique to white-collar crime when I, when I was involved in that industry. Uh, so the book, and I'll get to those, the book tries to uh, bring across 20 or 30 examples of intentionally designed systemic corruption and that corruption brings about great social unfairness. And I see that unfairness in our streets and on our sidewalks these days. And it uh, continues to interest me a great deal to find out how we could get that broken in our world. I'll jump to the second image if you could, Annalise. So in my view, men like this is a gentleman sitting on the uh, street in a Canadian winter trying to maintain body heat. He's got nowhere else to go. And people sometimes say that these folks are the problem. And in my opinion, and because of my pers uh, perspective, these people are not the problem in our society. They're a problem, yes. And uh, they're, they're often, but not always, the result of unspoken problems in themselves and in our society. Um, but the bigger problem is elsewhere. These, these folks, a lot of them I see as the result of our societal problems, systemic problems. Um, more than half of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck. This means that all it takes is one or two changes in circumstances, and more than half of Canadians could possibly face this kind of a situation. So it can happen to anyone. I uh, thank God it hasn't happened to me. I'm gonna share with you some of the secret tricks of billionaires that they use to make sure that it happens to other people and never to themselves. Keep in mind that this is all a thought experiment on my part. There's some experience, there's some observations, there's a lot of years, but I can't connect all of the dots in all of the circumstances, and some of it has to be a thought experiment to generate what the solutions are or even generate questions. And it will generate comments from some of the viewers, and they will help me to understand more of what I'm talking about. I'll get a great amount of information and feedback to generate learning in myself. Let's go to the next one if we can. 
This is a uh, closing slide of my SACPA presentation of 2018. I, I was dying to, to, to speak to SACPA in 2018 after the Lethbridge Chief of Police quoted in his SACPA presentation about the drug addiction problem of people dying on our streets. He said, we cannot police ourselves out of this situation. And I had so many answers in my head that I couldn't say. I was standing at the back of the room. And then when Dr. Wild from the Lethbridge Regional Hospital Emergency Head of Medicine spoke to SACPA, he quoted the chief of police, same words, we cannot arrest our way out of this problem. And he was talking about how the healthcare system was becoming burdened to the point of, of uh, near collapse, maybe not collapse at that stage, but near. Uh, the the answer that was screaming in my head and the reason I asked, I begged Newt to let me, Knut to let me speak to SACPA is the answer is we cannot arrest our way out of this problem is in my view because we don't arrest anybody at the top that causes the problem. So we, we can't arrest the things that are the result of the problem because we absolutely refuse to look upwards. It's like my dollar store flashlight here that only shines in it only shines downward and I turn it upward and it, it quits working and the justice system is somewhat like that or some of the policing prosecutorial, some of the interest in catching people, it kind of wanes when you have to go and catch people who are much more powerful you and much more influential than the people doing the policing. So justice does not go up as quickly and easily as it goes down. Uh, next slide if we can. This is an image of our planet zoomed out from about, zoomed out, I call it 3,000 times. I don't know how far out we are. No one promises tomorrow. And the quote also says, what are we doing today to ensure that we actually have a tomorrow, that we have a tomorrow? We're, we're in rather strange times at the moment. And to make sense of some of these times, I have to zoom out and look at the big picture and see things from a different angle. And that helps me find the higher principles and the actions that govern uh, the systems of money, power, and billion-dollar secrets. Those are what really fascinate me, the interaction of money and power, and the secret veil that you do not turn on your nightly news and ever see the secrets of billionaires. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, indicators of where you're being lied to and how you can tell the truth is the lie is always something that's shouted to you with a megaphone from the rooftops and the, and the screens and everything is pushed at you. That's an indicator that you might be being lied to. And secrets are quietly spoken and sometimes they're so quietly spoken that people actually cover their mouth when they speak them so no one can even read their lips. So the real truth out there is the hardest thing there is to find in this world today. And that's what I spend my time trying to uh, trying to uncover the billion dollar secrets. Let's jump to a new slide here. This one won't make a lot of sense, but the term atmospheric river jumped out at me this year. I'd never heard of that before. Uh, and it reminded me of back in my father's day, there used to be the occasional visit to Southern Alberta where I live by con men who claimed to be able to make it rain for the farmers in Southern Alberta. There was no irrigation back then. It was dry land and you lived or died based on moisture coming out of the sky. <clears throat> it also caused me to think about, a, a, to do a thought experiment into what would it be like if man could actually make it rain? Just imagine the economic power that could be generated in a land like Alberta. Now imagine the power held in the hands of those people who can make it rain money. And those are some of the secrets of billion dollars, uh, billionaires that can make it rain money. A SACPA member, John Carpe, spent a lot of years in the irrigation business, and he told me once that irrigation in Alberta alone was responsible for some $9 million in economic activity. There's a lot of money if you can make it rain. I think we'll go to the next slide. Annalise, thank you. Uh, a bunch of money in piles and a few bricks of gold. Um, and the question there is, what if a few dozen men could make it rain money? They've perfected that. We now have the ability to rake it, make it rain money. The world reserve currency used to be money or currency, US dollars, 
tied to valuable resources, global resources, in this case gold. And in 1971, that all changed. They, they, they brought an end to the Bretton Woods system, Nixon, Nixon shock is what it was called. And they effectively removed the limits on all money in circulation for the United States. So the global reserve currency, the country controlling it could push the button as repeatedly as often as they like and create as many million or billions of dollars as they like. And I've noticed in the last two, three years, actually since COVID, I think if you look at the chart of the Federal Reserve balance sheet, the uh, chart goes straight up. It's almost like um, an increase of, I think it's, I think it's t triple or four or five times more money created since 2020 printed dollars because there are no limits on it whatsoever than the amount of money that the U.S. printed in its entire history up until that point, 100 years of history. So there's something strange going on, an exponential increase, because there are no longer those gold limits or asset limits or even just simple common sense restraints to how much money we can print. Um, so let's go to the uh, let's go to the next slide if we can. And I'll find mine. So is that helicopter money coming up? Is that the image? Good. Yeah. So helicopter money is another another strange term. It's almost like atmospheric uh, rivers of moisture to people who are not financially uh, uh, equipped. But it is actually the rain. It's it's a euthanism for raining money down upon not society but on certain people it's um financial equivalent of economic rivers of money but again only for insiders and friends of the financial system they may trickle down eventually to everyone in some way shape or form but it's actually going to be a tsunami of money upon the millionaires and the billionaires and the politically connected first what that does is that raises the cost of living. Imagine a, a level of water uh, raising to a point where people, ordinary people have to drown. They cannot maintain themselves in that kind of a system. Um, so when they took the limitations of any kind of asset backing the uh, US dollar in 1971, they took that away. It meant that farmers no longer had to it meant that some people no longer had to manufacture or grow or produce anything. They could just make it rain money. But of course, that doesn't apply to you or me or members of the audience. It only applies to a few people. Let's jump to the next slide. Slide number eight is a former U.S. Treasury Secretary holding up a sheet of newly printed bills. Um, he's a former Goldman Sachs executive, second generation has a, 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 an amazing history to look at. But imagine if you could begin to print money for a few pennies, it only cost a few pennies worth of ink and paper to now create US dollars, where it used to require the backing or the holding or the retention of physical assets of some kind to represent wealth and value. So Imagine now being able to push a button and get your hands on a billion dollars without anybody able to question you or stop you or hold you back. Um, that's secret number one to farming humans is first capture the ability in whatever economic game we're playing, give me the ability to create the money. That's what some people have said. That's what they've accomplished. Next slide, please. We've got Dr. Lawrence Lessig, Harvard Law professor giving a TED talk here that I'd, I'd encourage you to, to watch. Um, he explains how only two one hundredths of 1% of the US population, 0.02% of the US population, get to choose who can run for the office of the US president. So in other words, if there's only 0.02% of the population that gets to choose while the rest of the population is led to believe that they get to vote and select who gets to be president, uh, the game is fixed before the vote is even cast. They have 
selected who you get to choose from as a voter, if you're a U.S. citizen, before you get to exercise your right to vote. So that's a clear rigging of it. And he says it is a corruption of the design of a representative democracy. We're choosing someone who's going to represent our interests. We think we are. But the actual choice of who gets allowed to even apply for that job is vetted by the 0.02% of the population before your vote even gets debated. Um, this is step two. Step one is we capture the money. Step two is we capture the power. Um, we're going to go to the next slide if we can. Shows a tilted playing field. Looks like a soccer or football to me. English football. Step three is to use that wealth that you've created, unlimited rivers of money and corrupted power, unlimited access to power, to tilt the playing field to purchase whichever rules and laws that the elected um, and the elected representatives of the public, those connected to the public money and power, the public purse. Those are the first to gain the ability to create the money and then first to gain the ability to create the money, then create the rules, and then rig those rules for the next 100 years for the benefit of private parties and at trillions of dollars of cumulative harm to society. So we wonder why there's a guy sleeping on the sidewalk in the cold today in a Canadian winter. Um, and in fact, that, that person cannot even picture having the ability to afford the cost of living when some people are raining trillions of dollars down upon themselves. I think we're going to go to the next slide, Annalise. Helicopter money, raining dollars out of a helicopter. I hope I've sparked an interest in you to learn more about how money's created. I believe it to be the core at the core of our most largest of our largest current day problems. Um, yeah, central bank data shows helicopter money tactics have created more times, many times more money printed in, by privately owned central banks since 2008, which was when it really changed, than was created over the last 100 years. It's raining money, and then the question has to be asked, the thought experiment, what is it doing to the planet? We see what it's doing to society and the economy. What is it doing to the planet? I'm not a climate scientist by any stretch, but has anybody else noticed changes in our economy, changes in our weather changes in a lot of things uh, i think we'll jump to the next slide now a couple of uh, stairway a couple of kids trying to climb a stairway um, you can see the kid with the unfair advantage on the right he's got a staircase of money allows him to go straight to the top easily quickly and then he sits there and puts his you know uh, t taunts the kid the other kid and calls the kid on the left lazy we do that as a society. We worship the people who can race to the top and who can uh, make everything look rather easy. And we actually have a, a bias at looking down, at ostracizing, at, at uh, separating ourselves from those people who cannot compete in that world. Next slide, if we can. Homeless people on the streets. I took my son on a trip to Los Angeles in 2006, and I found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people sleeping on the sidewalks. I'd never seen that in my life, and my son had never either. We were completely blown away by that, and I've been trying to understand ever since how is that possible. This image isn't Los Angeles, it's Lethbridge, Alberta. It's now here in my community, and in every community, from what I can tell. Um, our streets consist of a different world. It's a world of economic refugees, if I can, excuse me, call it that. People who are in no way, shape or form connected to the system of money or power creation. They're completely left out. And we, uh, we label those people, we give them all kinds of terms, some deserved, some undeserved. Uh, certainly there's drug problems. Uh, as a young lady spoke to uh, SACPA a number of years ago, former head of the Medicine Hat Homeless Shelter, was responsible for uh, getting homeless people, the homeless person problems much solved in Medicine Hat, Alberta. She said, when people tell me I never give money to homeless people because they'll just spend it on drugs, 
or they'll waste it on drugs or alcohol. She said, what do you think they're going to spend it on? A, a love seat and a end table for their cardboard box that they're sleeping in. <laughs> she made it very, very clear. Her name was Audrey. And uh, I can't remember her last name. I'm sorry. For crying out loud, I actually say FFS here. For anybody who knows what FFS is, we're smart enough to put water wings on our children before we throw them into a deep swimming pool. And yet nobody in society suggests that we should support our weakest citizens because they say it'll make them weaker. We toss them into a pool, a pool filled with water that's, that's, that's been filled by rivers of atmospheric money that they don't have access to. And we wonder why they can't swim. We wonder why they drown. We wonder why they turn to alcohol and drugs. You might as well, I might as well, if I were put in those same conditions. So it's not up to me to judge. It's up to me to try to understand the problem and see if there's a way to solve it and how I can help. Let's go to the next slide. Thanks, Annalise. This is an image of two guys looking at a tangle of network cables. This is actually Annalise's uh, server room in her closet. And these two guys are, <laughs> these two guys are doing the uh, economic economic study and one guy says there's a problem with your government your wealth circuit got plugged into your political circuit that's exactly where we are today our wealth circuit has been completely plugged into and has captured our political circuit so the unique violence of white collar crime the other another aspect of it is again there is no there's little to no interest in prosecuting the crimes of the rich and powerful in many cases, we find that our political servants and our public servants are actually benefited more by defending the crimes of the rich and powerful, by helping them to obtain uh, deferred prosecution agreements, by making sure that things don't get dealt with in an open public manner. Um, the crimes of the rich and the powerful, these invisible crimes that are never seen in the media or very rarely, they are a wonderful profit center for those at the top and, and the millions of handmaids, professionals who serve those at the top. There's a class structure there that prevents justice from operating in an, it, operating in an upward direction. Not in all cases, but like a law of gravity or something uh, akin to a law of po poverty, the, the light of justice does not shine upward in anywhere near the rapidity or the ease with which it shines down upon people who are weak and in defenseless. It's literally free money. Crime is literally free money, in my experience, my perception, at a level of about $100 million. I do not see prosecutions. I do not see reporting. I do not see court cases. Uh, if you go to the police with even a $10 million crime in my community, you, uh, people tell me you're likely to be told, well, we consider that a civil matter and not a criminal matter. They don't know. Uh, the, it's not they don't know. They're not trained. They don't have the backup. They don't have the tools. They now have semi-automatic weapons, but they don't have the tools to go after financial bullets and financial crimes. Um, so the force of light gravity always seems to be applied more easily in a downward direction that applies to criminal prosecutions, uh, police takedowns. You steal a set of wheels um, and get away with it. The police could come after you with helicopters and searchlights if need be. But if it's, like I say, if it's a $100 million crime, they're out. They have other things to do. And I give the police a ton of respect that please don't assume that I, I don't respect what they're doing, they are giving me a feeling of safety in a world which in which it's very easy to feel unsafe. And in my community, they do a, an amazing, amazing job, polite, respectful, professional. Uh, I'm just saying that they don't have the tools to go up in the $100 million level. It's like uncontrolled airspace. When I flew helicopters, it was flying close to the ground in controlled airspace. Usually for me, it was 500 feet. Anything above that, I get scared. And in crimes of the million, 10 million, 100 million dollar range, you're talking about completely uncontrolled airspace. It's like that image where we zoomed out on the earth 
and we're looking at it from uh, 100 miles above the surface, there's no law up there. There's no rules. It's uncontrolled airspace. Same thing in the economy. Let's go to the next slide, Annalise. So, raining money just on the few, the image on the left, dollar bills coming out of office towers or into office towers, causes so many to drown on the right. When we create a game which encourages the destruction or the exchange of much of the world's resources for little green pieces of paper, there are a lot of people who are not in the business of creating little green pieces of paper or can't do it easily. They end up drowning in the higher cost of living in such a world. So I'll repeat again. We put water wings on our kids before we toss them in a swimming pool. We don't say it's going to make them weak and that we should let them, some drown. Okay? We actually try to keep their heads above water, and we're not doing that in today's society. Let's go to the next image. I'm on slide 16. I'm going to try to get to 20, Annalise. Once more, the game works because first we capture the money. That's easy. We've already done it. It's historical, and I'll give you a link at the end to go and look at it, a, a better video on how the money was captured. Then we capture the, the political power and the people who are public servants. Then they can rig the rules in the favor of the richest people, and you repeat, you repeat that or cheat that game until someone is a trillionaire. Next slide. This is an artist's portrayal of the world's first trillionaire. It's the man who won the race of converting most of Earth's resources into tiny bits of green-colored paper. Here he sits with the last tree on the planet. He's the winner. Sadly, he doesn't have enough oxygen to do a fist pump to celebrate and go woohoo. He can't say woohoo either. That's the world's first trillionaire. If we continue, if I can continue the thought experiment of what do we do if we destroy the resources of the earth in a race to capture green colored bits of paper and now with, with the ability, with no limits on the creation of uh, money, we can destroy it all. We can hit a button uh, endlessly, infinitely. Next slide, please. So complex systems are easily destabilized. I've had the experience of crashing a couple of helicopters in my lifetime. It's given me some unique insights into how complex spinning systems can quickly destroy themselves when something goes out of balance. Shit happens and it happens really fast and it hits the ground really fast. Next slide, if I can. So complex systems are easily destabilized. They can destroy, they can and do destroy themselves if things go out of balance. And now we're back to our thought experience of wondering how the thought experiment, wondering how the creation of atmospheric rivers of money may destabilize the very earth itself. That's a thought experiment for you to teach me about because I'm not a climate, climate scientist. Next slide, if we can. But a thought experiment that I can do is this gentleman standing in front of a terrarium that he's had 63 years that he says it's never been open. It's a closed system, kind of like our planet in my understanding. And so printing money without limits might be like lighting fires inside of a closed system or putting a fire underneath it to heat it up a little bit more, which money does to the economy. What would that do to a closed system? What would it do to this terrarium? I'll go to the next slide if I can. Good. Like printing money without limit, anybody else noticed, I'm sorry, has anybody else noticed how the weather is getting a little strange lately, the economy a little strange, the politics a little bit strange? It's kind of like boiling frogs is what the world feels like to me. And that's my thought experiment. We'll go to the last slide. And it's a repeat, and it says, no one promises us tomorrow. What are we doing today to ensure that everyone has a tomorrow? I'm really grateful to SACPA for the chance to come here and share this little talk. Thank you, Annalise. Well, thank you, Larry. You, uh, you, you, blew, you blew me away anyway. Um, you <clears> did <throat> so at your talk in, uh, previously at SACPA, and you've done so again. So thank you very much for sharing your information and taking time out. Um, 
We've got lots of questions in the queue, so I'd like to start right away if you're ready. Um, ready. And the first question is from Mark Goodall. What is your view on inheritance tax? Would that help to prevent the billions from being passed on to billionaires instead of being channeled to healthcare and pharma, pharma care, etc.? It's a great question, Mark. Um, inheritance tax. Yes, uh, anything that allows a balance of fairness to be restored. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a guy that just wants to change the laws and take money from the rich. There are some rich who have deservedly acquired a lot of money, but they have done so inside a system that has made it rather easy. The slippery, the slope for, for me, I was born in a time when I had every advantage, right time, right place, right country, right race, uh, no disrespect, I was lucky. I feel that I owe some of that, or at least I don't, I don't feel the ability to create so much money for myself that I can look down my nose at those that don't have those, those good, that good fortune. And an inheritance tax may be one of the things to consider if we cannot design a fair justice political system, otherwise taxation system. Uh, we may have to resort to whatever we have to resort to. Thank you, Mark. Laurie Schultz um, has a, a rather long question. I'll read it out, and I'm assuming here, Laurie, that you are listening to the CBC this morning, and that FB stands for Facebook. So I'm going to call it Facebook. Facebook whistleblower Francis Hogan says enforce transparency legislation and then in brackets, i.e. weekly reports on time, teens view self-harming images, etc. End of bracket. Led by a coalition of smaller countries, including Canada, would motivate Facebook to comply and put ethics ahead of profit. Would this be viable example of what you have termed a movement of accountability? Is Hogan receiving whistleblower protection from the U.S. government that other corporate corporate whistleblowers do not receive? What are your thoughts? And I don't know, well, Larry, if you heard if you heard uh, this morning's CBC on this. No, I have. Uh, I've stayed away from social media and uh, and and mainstream media today and tried to gather my thoughts for this presentation. The accountability part, the, the accountability part, I really understand. We have removed accountability from a certain sector of the population. Again, that class structure, that hierarchy that says the lights of the lights of accountability, justice, those kinds of things do not shine upwards with the same impact as they do downwards allows People in the down, people at the lower social stratus to be very much manipulated, harmed, misled, and abused and farmed. I guess is the title of my book, Farming Humans. Uh, while the people at the top, there is no accountability for that. So I have, I think the solutions in my book that I come up with an industry of accountability. It's almost like what David Suzuki was doing 50 years ago when he was shouting into the wind saying, if we don't do something, we're going to be in great trouble in 50 years. And no one believed him that we needed an environmental industry. And he was correct. And today I'm saying the same thing. We need an industry of accountability. And I love doing thought experiments on that solution. Thanks. Cliff Peterson. We, and then in bracket, most of us at least, we as individuals believe that money borrowed have to be paid back. Money borrowed by governments, however, are, are different and may not ever have to be paid back. And then three question marks. Good. Knut, you nail it. You've hit on the, on the biggest problem. The, 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 very, the very wealthiest do not have to pay back. Um, they are exempt from many of the normal pressures and demands and requirements that, that everyone else is. Collection agencies do not come to them. When Steve Mnuchin, the guy holding up the sheet of bills in my third slide of the presentation, 
was uh, with Goldman Sachs or shortly after that, he was accused of looting the Sears pension plan. In other words, going in there, doing transactions, don't know if it's true or not, but I think he was sued for it, of taking away the pensions of Sears employees, people with 20, 30, 40 years in Sears stores. I'm not saying that that's uh, true or false. I'm saying that people in those positions are in uncontrolled airspace. The laws, the rules, the repossession agents, the sheriff's bailiffs do not come to their door. They have million-dollar lawyers that take care of all of that, and the system almost profits. The system makes more money profiting by defending attacks like that than uh, and protecting the, the people getting away. Long story short, Canute, you're right on. There's there's no need. There's a different set of rules at the top as, that there is at the bottom, and that's the unfairness that we need to address. Ian Hurdle, currently top Canadian corporate head officers' salaries are about 200 times their average employee. Any comment? Yeah, the, uh, the talk I that was at in 2005 at Southern Alberta Council which featured Osgood Hall law professor, Ottawa, Harry Glasbeek. And he wrote a book called Wealth by Stealth. And he talked about, um, he talked about his daughters had an invisible, his daughter had an invisible friend named Lucy. I can't remember her name, but I'll say Lucy. And one day he was at a tea party with his daughter having a tea party and a teacup got knocked over and broken. And he said, you've got to be more careful, Lucy. You don't want to break this fine china. And she said, I didn't break it, Daddy. My invisible friend broke it. And he said, that's the role of the corporation in today's world. We've actually created a legal person called a corporation who doesn't have to follow the same rules and laws that you and I do because that person is unable to be arrested, unable to be handcuffed, unable to be jailed. So no matter how good my police system here is in the city of Lethbridge, and I repeat, they're damn good, they can't arrest, handcuff, or jail an invisible person. And now today, invisible persons, corporations who do not exist except on paper and bricks and mortar, um, are bigger than some of the governments in our world. And so they are a tremendous problem. And there's a, 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 it's, it's like we've created... Giant, the giant robots of the 1950s sci-fi movies that we can no longer stop when we can't arrest them, handcuff them, or jail them. Uh, so, Ian, you've opened up a can of worms there that's a beautiful can of worms that we need, humanity needs to fix. Otherwise, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to get very far. <laughs> Next. Nikki? Where is or are your books available to purchase? Oh boy, I'm glad you asked me that, Nikki. Analog Books is the coolest bookstore in Alberta. I think it's on 6th Street, South Lethbridge. I tried to keep my books out of the big, giant, corporate-owned bookstores. Not that I don't like them, but I really like supporting little mom-and-pop things because I really am afraid of the day when the little mom and pop stores are all gone and we have one store left, you know, one Amazon to deal with or one something to deal with. My book's on Amazon, sadly, um, but I wanted it to be able to be purchased by someone in Japan, in India, in wherever. Um, and most of my book sales are in overseas locations. So I, I appreciate Amazon's there, but I much more appreciate giving my business to the little guy on 6th Street. And I know your latest book is uh, uh, Farming Humans, but you've had other books. Could you give us the title? The first book, it's, it was a writing and learning experience, so I'm not going to brag about it, but it was titled About Your Financial Murder. And it was the uh, 10 or 20 or 30 things that no one will tell you about financial investment advisors and the investment advisory business and how they pick your pocket and end up with about half of your uh, retirement funds after 20, 30 years. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I read that book. It was great. Thank you. Thank, thank you for writing it. Um, yeah. Ian Hurdle, we have a large debt with our COVID response coming due. Are we going to have to change our tax and social funding approach? 
to in other words, to, yeah, thanks, Ian, for the question. Are we going to have to change to to collect that money or pay it back? I'm sure the bankers of the world and the corporations at the top, the financial corporations, will say yes. And if I'm one of the little guys at the bottom, I'm going to say no. I think there should be a debt jubilee, um, a forgiveness of debt. Uh, I'm no biblical scholar, but I imagine I, I understand it goes back to biblical times, a forgiveness of debt to reflect some of the imbalances um, and we have now some of the greatest imbalances that I can imagine in history. In my history, we certainly have, in my knowledge, we have some great imbalances. And I, I say the game has been tilted for 100 years to, to 12, it can be traced back to 12 men who privately own the Federal Reserve. Um, and those 12 men have been able to print money freely, especially after the gold standard was removed and everybody else has been left to drown, sink or swim. Everyone else on the planet has sink or swim. And that deserves some level of forgiveness. And the thing that supports that is I don't think the US or anybody is, their debt is not sustainable. Many countries cannot be repaid. So it's a matter of collapse and let the dust, you know, let the dust sort it out um, or some kind of fair forgiveness process, which might allow a little easier a little bit less violent uh, collapse. So I'm going to jump the queue and ask my own yes. question, if you're sure. okay with that. Um, so we've seen on the news and everywhere how inflation and the rise of prices, uh, for example, the rise of meat prices have gone up astronomical. And then you see that um, meat companies or cargo meat company has made exponential amounts of um, profits this year, right? And on a, on a very local level, um, a friend of mine was buying a Christmas tree from a local, local market um, and the Christmas trees there were supplied by a very local company that grew those Christmas trees. And all of a sudden the price had increased again from previous years, hugely. And when they challenged that, that the, the little person, the person selling the Christmas tree says, oh yeah, there's a real run on Christmas trees and the Americans are buying them up. And it's like, well, you're not supplying the Americans, you're supplying this local little market here, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so it feels like our prices are being increased, all our prices are going up, yet when you really want to trace that back, it's often all inflation or whatever, but everybody else is making a profit or there seems to be exponential amounts of profits being exponential. made. Yeah. I would say that's why I think it's important to support the little guy, to go downtown, to support the local grocery store, because damn, we're going to miss the local grocery store when we're 20 years older, unable to drive our, ourselves all the way out to the big box store. Um, and when there's only one big box store left, when they've kind of captured the entire marketplace and put most others out of business. Um, it's kind of like the movie Wally. -E. If anybody's ever seen the cartoon picture Wally, -E, where there's one store left on the planet, or one, and in fact everybody has to leave the planet to go. Uh, I won't go into it, but we'll be very, very, um, we'll be hurt even worse than we're pressured today by inflation and high costs when competition has been killed off and there's nothing but one corporation left to dominate the world thought experiment sorry <laughs> okay our next question comes from Laurie Schultz what was the outcome of the parliamentary finance committee that you presented to absolutely nothing it was a show of sound and thunder and uh, it was a theatrical performance and I walked with my wife it was my third time testifying in parliament I walked with my wife down to the the supreme court building I stood behind the Supreme Court building. You know what, it, Annalise, what, there's a nice picnic area there looking down a 200-foot cliff into the river. The and I thought about mm -hmm. jumping. I seriously oh. thought about jumping. I realized that nothing that I had done or said or nothing that was, nothing that was put up 
to protect the public, a parliamentary committee, a royal commission, or whatever the, the title might be, that they were nothing but sound and fury and thunder and performance. They were a dramatic stage production, like our local New West Theatre, who do a wonderful stage production. The, the, the parliamentary committees were that. The witnesses were selected by political parties who wanted to hear the views they wished to have put forth. Uh, nothing was done. It was just like putting it on the nightly news that, hey, look, at we've had this thing and we've done this and look at us move and there's papers and there's testimony. Absolutely nothing changes, mm. my experience. Thank you for the question. Mm. I'm sorry, that was so blurry. Um, it was a learning experience. Yeah. Thank you. Mark Goodall, compared to the Scandinavian countries, do you feel we are not paying enough taxes at the top level? Boy, oh boy, uh, the, uh, the the young lady, that the journalist that revealed the Panama Papers, the ability for the people at the top level to hide their money in offshore islands, offshore jurisdictions, um, she was killed shortly after she revealed that information. So... Um, I've just lost his, the focus of his question was, say again? Yeah, Mark Goro, compared to the Scandinavian countries, do you feel we are not well, paying enough taxes at the top level? Yes, I'm not really familiar with the Scandinavian countries, but I know they're doing a better job than we are of that class structure where everybody pays down below and nobody pays at the very top. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the uh, corrupt, the criminal-like structure that we have. And, and I think they're far and ahead, uh, well ahead of us, yes. Uh, Remo Razzolotto, mm -hmm. who are those 12 men? You spoke earlier of the 12 men who were able to print money, I believe. I had, the, I had the video I watched last night on the Federal Reserve. It's the owners of the Federal Reserve, which is a private agency made to look, sound and act as if it is a federal government, U.S. federal government agency. But if you look at the history of it, um, and I've looked at a lot of videos about the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve website and their documents. So it's, it's all in the public records, written in Greek, so you can't under, you're not able to understand it. Your eyes are supposed to glaze over and fall asleep. But if you look, if you want to know where all the money in the world is or comes from or, or in North America, look at the workings of the central banks, the world central banks, the... European Central Bank. The Federal Reserve in particular is very well documented. Uh, it's, there's links in my book, there's quotes, there's at least 50 quotes from politicians to Thomas Edison to Henry Ford at the time, 1913, that the Federal Reserve was created, where these 12 guys lined up and said, I got an idea, why don't you let me create all your money? Why don't you let us do it? We'll print the money, what could go wrong? And here we are 100 years later, 107 or 8, and everything is going wrong. And we're not supposed to look up. Don't look up is the movie you watch on Netflix these days. Very controversial. And it's the same sort of thing on the environment as the financial thing. Don't look up. Never, never shine the light of, of day upward at the power. Never look up. at The justice system doesn't look up. Rarely. Um, that's a fun and amazing movie to look at to see why we're, we're making those same mistakes in the financial environment that we're making in our natural environment. Sorry, I can't remember the movie I watched last night. I wrote it down. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Uh, world government deficits are totally out of control, as you mentioned. And if those deficits were to be paid off, the world economy would tank. What needs to happen over time? I don't know, but I, I think the forgive. I think some form of debt forgiveness, some soft landing. Um, there's either a hard landing where we uh, collapse it and we can't repay, and it triggers a collapse all around the world, kind of like we saw in 2008, when property values and mortgages were collapsing. And the banks here were getting exemptions from the law so they could dump their mortgage-backed securities on investors. Different story, but anyhow, 
I think a softer landing, uh, um, uh, a deflating, deflating that debt bubble kind of nicely so it comes down like a nice tent and, and protects society and every member of society somehow, except corporate persons. I don't have a lot of love for corporate persons, those people who are invisible and can't be arrested, handcuffed, or jailed. I don't believe their debt should be forgiven at all, but countries, persons, um, I think a softer landing would be a debt jubilee than, than a collapse. Uh, James McDonald, what are the checks and balances that are in place to protect investors? Did the federal government take steps to create an ombudsman for banking services called OBSI? And oh, boy. Yep. Why a non-statutory body? And then a second part to that, read the OBSI. It sounds a bit like your reference to the Federal Reserve. Do you want me to read, the, read that, Larry? First one, protect investors, first question. Um, virtually nothing, all money is spent. It's easy to spend uh, millions of dollars, tens of millions, and well, we spend hundreds of millions in some provinces in Canada, Ontario, $300 million, I think, we spend, on the, the industry pays financial regulators, and those financial regulators are, are, are given public legislation, public entrusted power, but the money comes from the financial industry, so they're using public entrusted power for private gain. So the answer is there is virtually no protection, there is a show of protection, which would be 0.02%, same as the number of people who select the powers in the US, there's a 0.02% chance that there will be a show trial or a, a, a something that will protect an investor or 0.02% of investors. For instance, in the OBSI, Office of the Banking Ombudsman for Banking Services in Canada, the Ombudsman for Banking Services was told in writing, and the links are in my materials, that they cannot investigate. Larry? Larry, you seem to have disappeared on us. Um, let me try and get Larry back on Skype. It seems to be that Skype's kind of hung up on Larry. Larry, are you there? Larry, we've kind of lost you. Can you put... <laughs> Larry, are you still there? Can you turn off your camera, Larry? In Canada. Oh. I'm just waiting for Larry to rejoin us. Larry, are you there? Ah, I am. Great. I was, just, I was just saying the OBSI, Office of the Banking Ombudsman, can no longer investigate if every person in Canada has been affected by a problem with a bank. They can't do it. They can only investigate Mr. and Mrs. Jones' complaint or another complaint that might come to them, Mr. and Mrs. Smith's complaint. But if the fault or the fraud or the, the corruption picks the pockets of every banking customer in the country, everyone in the land, they can't investigate it because that's a systemic problem and they can't, that power was taken away from them a number of years ago. So that's your answer on the OBSI investor protection thing. 
I hope that helps the question. Thank you. Larry, we seem to be having a lot of audio. Is there a way that you can turn off your video so that we can get a better audio? I, sure. What do I turn off the camera icon at the bottom? Yeah, turn video off. Yeah, okay. turn the video off, and that hopefully will give us a better, okay. um, better audio so that we can answer the last few questions. Um, and James replied, "Did I sure. ask?" A, James replied, "Did I ask a question that Skype didn't like?" Um, James clearly. Um, yes. <laughs> Lori, yeah, Lori Schultz. <laughs> Are uh, B Corp are B Corp certification companies created creating a mon momentum in a movement of accountability or leveling the playing field? I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. I'm, um, at the top of my head, I haven't run into B Corp certified companies or I haven't spent any attention on it or I've missed the boat on that. I apologize, Lori. Okay, our next question, Mark Godel. Um, do you think that a guaranteed or, or a guaranteed income for all is part of the solution? It, it certainly is on the table for discussion. It comes back to that uh, image of me of, of the people who can't, who are drowning in, in the environment we have now. If, if we can't bring down the free money raining upon billionaires or the world's first trillionaire, shall I say, uh, we have to somehow bring up the people who are drowning in that additional cost. If I can print a trillion dollars, give it to my best friends, I can affect the value of property around my immediate circle to a point where people, many, many, many people, thousands in my community could no longer afford to live here. That's what we're doing on a global scale. We're making it so people can't survive. If we can't fix the free money at the top, then we may have to provide a guaranteed income at the bottom as some kind of a fairness solution. Good question, Mark. Um. Uh, sorry, Mark, that I missed that question. I'm glad you answered again. I'm just going through the queue and I also missed a comment by um, Nick. What, are you, what you are doing matters. It may have been a stage production, but your part was very, very real. You are changing the world as each and every person hears your words. Thank you for being vulnerable. And mm -hmm. I completely um, want to echo Nick's, Nick on that. And Thank um, you. Thank you. Then we move on to James uh, McDonald. If OBSI is an independent non-for-profit, how can they be told what they can or cannot investigate as in systematic issue, as in systematic issue? What a great question, Jim. I, I don't understand either. It's, uh, I do have it in writing and it is on my websites that the OBSI was prevented or from the OBI website, OBSI, they are forbidden to investigate systemic matters. Again, if, if one bank client feels that they've been abused or ripped off or overcharged, OBSI will be there. I've seen them in action, and I'm, I, I won't comment. <laughs> but if every person in Canada is, and there are only five banks in Canada doing 90% of the business, so every person in Canada is touching upon the banks in some way, shape, or form, every person is being abused, OBSI is off the table. They can't even, they will not even answer the call. They're like a police agency that doesn't go to certain calls. I'm sorry, we can't help you. Take your money to a credit union is my solution. Locally owned, become part of the ownership of it. Far less predatory. Uh, they're not invisible corporate persons at the level of a giant science fiction trillion dollar machine that will eat you up when there's a dispute. Take your money to credit unions and, and restore some fairness. Larry, that was it for the questions. Lots of thank yous. Um, before um, 
we end the session today though, however, um, I want to ask you, do you have a take home message for our viewers? Take home message would be to watch, to, to educate yourself on those 12 people who created the Federal Reserve. Look up the history. I think it was the history of the Federal Reserve was the YouTube documentary that I looked at last night and it was amazingly well done and it was referenced and sourced and historical, factual, not conspiracy theory nonsense. If you can learn how money is created, educate yourself on what money is, how it's created and who gets to create it, you will be so much further ahead as, as someone able to protect yourself, protect your family, protect your society which ultimately protects your freedom in this world, may even protect your environment that we have to live in. Um, and watch the movie if you want a fun one and a very good one, watch Don't Look Up because it tells us how easy it is that we're fooled and silenced and distracted by the goofballs up above trying to fool and distract and silence us. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Beth Mundell, thank you so much, Larry. Knut Pedersen, many thanks, Larry. Missing you in person. Uh, Laura Schultz, Larry, thank you for a powerful and enlightening presentation today. Much food for thought. Ian Hurdle, thank you. Morton, uh, thank you, Larry. And also on behalf of SACPA, thank you so much for your presentation, for your very powerful presentation today, uh, Larry, and for your time and... Uh, um, Join us, folks, next week uh, for Water Competition and Conflict with Dr. Dina McMartin on Thursday next week. And um, with that, I wish everybody a very good and safe week. Thank you. Thanks, Annalise. Good to see you again.